but I'm not. Never was. Well, Brother Caleb, I'm, I'm, you said I might be setting up the service for to this morning, and now I'm intrigued at what you have in mind because I'm thinking you should be the one preaching. You might have a better idea. <laughs> All right, good. Well, I will introduce my family. I don't often do this, but uh, I'll just have them stand, my family, so if you guys would, please. So this is my wife, Shiloh, and then they're, they're not quite in order, almost. Uh, Rilla is our oldest. She's 20. Then Peyton, <clears throat> he's 18. And then Caitlin. And then Rebecca at the end. And Matthew. So that's our family there. Thank you very much. And uh, <clears throat> part of the reason for coming on this furlough was so that they could meet the churches that have cared for them all of their lives too. And my two oldest will be ready to launch out into their personal lives. And I thought, if I don't do this now, I'm going to lose this opportunity. So uh, I wanted them to be able to greet you and thank you, you know, as they have opportunity one by one. And then I want to just thank you as a church. Uh, I sure do appreciate your faithfulness through the years, your, your blessing uh, of cards. That's where I finally remembered, Miss Denise, where your name was, the cards coming. And um, just knowing that you're praying for us is a blessing to us. Uh, <clears throat> A few weeks ago, the Lord sort of was just helping me to think about greetings to churches. You'd think after, you know, being in so many, I would have got this early on, but I'm a bit slow. But I want to say to you what I've said in a couple of places, that uh, I know that you have missionaries come through. I don't know how often. I'm assuming it happens often. Uh, but as you have missionaries come through, uh, we are, we're so limited because we just get to stand here on an occasion now and again and say thank you. And what I would hope is that you don't let the thank you become just commonplace, if you hear it a lot. Because we don't get to do anything more than that. We pass through, you guys care for us, and then we go on our way and we write a note. But that's about it. That's all we can do. Uh, but when we say thank you, we mean it from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, don't let that become commonplace to you, that a missionary would say thank you. We mean it, and we, we're, you're precious to us. We treasure you and your friendship, your partnership in the ministry. And uh, we, we pray for you. And um, I think back of when I did come through the first time preacher, and he treated me so well, and I, I really was just kind of a kid. I mean, I was maybe 28, I think, at the time, but pretty much a kid. Uh, I looked 12 <laughs> And uh, I still remember the service. There's certain places that you go, you remember the service. I remember preaching. I remember some things that happened in the service. I remember somebody made a profession of faith that day, if I remember right. I don't know if that person's still here or not. But um, just blessed. And then he introduced me to chiropractors. And I'd never been, that I could remember, I'd never been to one. So that was my introduction to chiropractors. But honestly, you're a blessing to us. I won't waffle on any longer. <clears throat> Let's go to Hebrews chapter number 3. I recognize now the beginning of the mission conference. I don't take it lightly to stand in the pulpit ever. Uh, I don't take it lightly to stand in the pulpit on a Sunday morning and, and for your pastor and pastors to trust me to just take the morning service means a lot to me, so I don't take that lightly. And uh, we're introducing the mission conference, and I'm aware of that, and uh, so I'm not going to stray 
too far out, I don't think, but uh, it may not seem like I'm on target for the moment, okay? So just bear with me. I do have some thoughts. This is obviously something you could preach any time of the year, and I'm not too thematic in our church, but um, there's a matter in this passage that's it's kind of rough, and I'm not trying to be rough. I'm trying to be open, and I hope that we can take it that way. Uh, there's some things here that every time I look at it, it kind of slaps me around a little bit too. Hebrews chapter number 3, we're aware of the context of the passages and things here in the book of Hebrews, but I want to take something just at its face value, and I want to begin in verse number 12 as we look at um, Hebrews 3, verse number 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved? Forty years. That's who was the Lord grieved with forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Well, Father, we pray now for your blessing again on the service. I need you. I need the filling of your spirit. If the folks here today need the filling of your spirit, uh, maybe there's some watching uh, online, and uh, we pray for your blessing on them, especially if they're away because of illness and, and not able to be with us. God, would you just bless them with that knowledge of knowing that they're thought of and uh, knowing also that the spirit of God is still present with them as well. We pray, Father, that um, whoever may be here today in whatever condition they're in, uh, that you would be able to make us to be more like Jesus Christ. And we pray that uh, the lost would have an understanding of their need to be saved. God, we sure do want to be a blessing to you today. We hope to honor you. And so put a hedge around us, guard our minds, our hearts, and my mouth now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, God has designed for us to, to live out our lives with victory. Now, victory isn't always going to look the same as what the world might think of when we, when we think of victory. But God's design for our lives is that we would have victorious life in Christ. And, uh, you know, victorious life in Christ can be in the midst of suffering and trial and heartache and trouble and tears and all those things, but we're still victorious because we still have the sweetness of the Spirit of God as He ministers through us and we're able to suffer with a smile, we're able to go through tragedy with the confidence, we can lose loved ones with hope, and so uh, we're, we're different, we're odd to the world, I understand, but nonetheless that there should be victory in our life, and that's what, if we survey our lives, and if the Holy Spirit surveys our life and, and teaches us, then we should be able to look at our life and say it's a life of victory, that's the way God designed it. Victory, though, is taken from us 
many times, if not most times, and it's through the problem, the sin of unbelief. Unbelief. God's desire and intention for us as believers is a little bit different, a little bit different than what he gave to Israel. If we look at the history of Israel, particularly there in Deuteronomy, we might as well look at Deuteronomy chapter number 1. We'll take the time to look at some passages here. Deuteronomy chapter number 1. God gave some things to Israel that he did not want to give to us for good reason. Deuteronomy chapter number 1, and let's look here at verse number 30. We understand the context. I don't think we need to set that too much. You guys are taught well. You understand well. If you are new to church, just understand this much that this is written to Israel. It's for us. We learn from it, but it's to Israel. And he says in verse number 30, The Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall... He shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son in all the way that ye went until ye came unto this place. Yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God. So what did he do there? He's, he's showed them some things. Uh, he revealed himself through signs and uh, some of the uh, things that we read about there in Egypt as they saw uh, the gods being judged by Jehovah, and, and then they saw God part the Red Sea. And so there, was, there were signs that indicated to the nation of Israel that God was fighting for them. And so they looked at that, and yet verse number 32 says they still didn't believe. You know, I talk to people today, uh, and I know you do too, and we're trying to tell them, they need to be saved. And time and time again, people would say, well, if God would reveal himself to me, if he would show me a sign, if he would do such and such, then I would believe. I'm just telling you, if that's in your heart, that's not true. That is not true. God gave sign upon sign upon sign upon sign and wonder to the nation of Israel throughout their history, and they did not believe, did not believe, did not believe, did not believe. And we're not any different to them. We can show signs all day long and it's not going to affect something because, it's not going to affect our belief because it's, it's a matter of the heart. It was the heart. That was the problem that Israel had. There's a veil over their heart, the Bible tells us. And this veil over their heart kept them from seeing God just for who He was by faith. And so we learn that God's intention for us, slightly different as we go into uh, back to the book of Hebrews here, but he tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 7, he said, we walk by faith, not by sight. We are not intended to be a, a people who say, well, God, you have to show me for me to believe, because as we've already seen, we're not going to believe. I mean, let's, let's just draw somebody again out of the Old Testament when you get uh, Caleb, or excuse me, not Caleb, but Gideon. And uh, he's, you know, well, if the, if the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, then I'll believe. Well, God did that, and he still didn't believe. He's got to, well, now let's make the ground wet and the fleece dry. And on and on it goes because the heart has a problem of unbelief. And so what we have to deal with today is the matter of unbelief in the heart. God said, I want you to walk by faith. Now, by definition... 
If you'll allow me today to put a definition on faith, believing what God said. You know, some people say, well, faith is just believing God. The problem is they try to assign things to God that aren't true. No, but the, the reality is, is that faith really is believing what God said about a matter or about us or about the truth, whatever it might be. And so the, the obvious uh, contrast here now is faith contrasted with unbelief, or if you like, belief with unbelief, but faith with unbelief. And God says to us, I want you to walk by faith, not by sight. And he uses here the illustration of Israel. And as he looks, if we look at verse number 12, he says to us, if you will, we're, we're drawing out now some, some principles of the passage here. He says to us, take heed, watch after yourself, brethren, lest, because there's a risk. The word lest always talks about there's a risk involved. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. So if God wants us to walk by faith and we're not walking by faith, he says there is in us this evil heart and he condemns it soundly and says that it's wicked. It's an evil heart of unbelief. And so we have to start squaring off with this issue of unbelief face to face and look at it and see, does this even show up in my life? Maybe you say to today, you say, well, I've, I believe the Bible. I know, I know we say that, but so many times the Bible's instructed us in a matter and we're not doing it, or told us to refrain from a thing and yet we continue. Where does that come from? Well, it originates in our heart. It's a heart of unbelief. So it's one thing to say it. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury, to poverty. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing for us to actually be living what we say. Now, it's interesting when I study this, this word uh, unbelief, it's only used in the New Testament. You maybe already knew that, but for me, that was something I didn't know. Now, the Bible throughout you know, the Old Testament deals a lot with believe not, they did not believe, and phrases like that are used, and of course, those are similar uh, or the same, but the word unbelief is only used in the New Testament. I think about uh, God talks in the book of the Psalms and he, he, he re repeats to them several times through Psalm, Psalm 78, Psalm 106, and he says, you know, I, I did this, I did this, I did this, I led you out of Egypt, I led you through the sea, I led you out into the wilderness, I fed you with food, I fed you with angels' food, and I provided meat when you needed meat, and I did all these things, your shoes didn't wear out, and your clothes didn't wax worn, and all of these things. And he said, and you still believed not. How is that possible in the life of somebody? How is it that they can see that and still not believe God and what he said? And yet again, we're, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans, these things are written for our learning. And we're supposed to look at Israel and say, okay, there's an element of me in the nation of Israel being revealed. So I set out to start thinking about unbelief and what does it mean, how does it appear and such. Let me give you a few definitions. And I, 
this is just the way I work. I like defining words. So I took Webster's 1828. My preferred dictionary, by the way, is Oxford's. But I took Webster's 1828 because I wanted to just make sure that I'm not, you know, running down an echo chamber. And so he starts off with this by, it's withholding belief. Withholding belief. If I'm withholding something, that means I could believe, but I don't. I'm intentionally pulling back what I could believe. Um, he says that it, when it comes to the New Testament and, and to the Bible, it's belief and divine revelation. Um, and he goes on and says this, that it's a distrust of God's promises and faithfulness. So that's Webster's. And uh, then I think about, the, I, I went to Oxford's again, and, and they just put it as absence or lack of belief, especially of religious faith or disbelief, incredulity, things like that. I want you to think about something. Let's, um, we might come back here, so don't lose your place in Hebrews, but I want you to go to, to the book of Romans with me. Romans. And um, let's look at Romans chapter number 4. So here we are, we're outside the age of grace. We're outside the age of the law. And we talk about Abraham. And uh, <clears throat> we get to Romans chapter 4, and here's what God says about this matter. In verse number 20, as it refers to Abraham. Romans chapter 4 and verse number 20, again, this, the, the he being here, Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Notice there, there was a choice made that he would believe what God said. Now, how many of you, if God came to you and said, you're going to have so many children, it'll be like numbering the stars of the sky or the sands on the seashore, and you would say, yes, God, I believe that. But he, that's why he becomes the father of those that are of, of faith, because he said, Okay, God, I believe you. And God said, I know you believe me, and I'm going to count it to you for righteousness. It wasn't that he just gave lip service to it. Sure, God, you can do whatever you want to do. He believed God. God saw his heart. He said, your heart is one of faith, and that is righteous in my sight. I'm counting it to you. I'm going to give that to you. Well, I certainly would not stand with Abraham on something so simple as having children. It's a choice that we make, whether we're going to believe God or not believe God. And there's not a man or a woman or a boy or a girl on the face of the earth who can say, well, that may be that, that way for them, but that's not that way for me. All of us are of the same flesh, we're of the same nature, and the nature of us is we either choose to believe God or not believe God. And, and even the dictionary had enough sense to look at it and say, if God says something and you don't believe it, it's because you're withholding your belief. You chose to. Uh, let's go on to Romans chapter number 11 as we look at the illustration of what the nation of Israel is and is contrasted with the, uh, those that are saved, the church, the believers. And uh, Romans chapter number 11, we know this very well and and uh, let's go to verse, uh, let's see, let's start off in verse number 19. 
Thou will say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. So this is a Gentile looking at the Jews and saying, well, they were busted off so that we could put in. And he says, responds in verse number 20, well, in other words, yes, what you're saying is true. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Why should we fear? Because we're back in Hebrews chapter 11. Take heed to thyself, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Israel chose not to believe God, and God broke them off and grafted us in and allowed us that great privilege because we were willing to believe God by faith. So somebody came along, or you were in a church service, or you read a tract, or something online, and you heard that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And he was buried and he rose again the third day. And, and at that point you said, I choose to believe that that is true. That Jesus Christ died for me. That he was buried, he rose again for me. That his payment for sin is accepted by the Father is acceptable on my behalf. And as soon as you did that, God said, good. I'm grafting you in. You made a choice. That's why today if you sit here unsaved, you are unsaved by choice. If you, and you know, God's not a Calvinist, praise the Lord. And if you are saved, you got saved by making a decision, a choice to believe the message of the gospel. No matter how radical it may have seemed to you at the time. And, and how many of you have ever led someone to Christ where you could see in their eyes, they're thinking, man, this is really way out there, but I believe it. I'm just going to choose to believe God in the matter. And you can see it in their eyes. But man, a transformation takes place and you can see, man, God got into their heart and they're transformed and they've been born again. And you can see it going on in their life. It's wonderful. And so again, it's Israel chose to not believe God. They lost privileges. We believe to, to believe God. Excuse me. We choose to believe God. And it comes with the, the gaining of privileges. And so look at chapter number 14 in Romans. Is everybody okay still? Doing all right? So here's a biblical explanation again of unbelief. Romans chapter 14 and verse number 23. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. Now this last statement, man, the principle of this last statement, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It's sin, and that's where we have to face it, just squarely as it is. It's an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief, not believing God, is sin. It's just sin. Uh, man, we live in a generation where people love to candy coat everything as, well, you know, it's not sin. It's just that, you know, I'm just having a hard time believing this, that, or the other. No, it's sin. It's an evil heart of unbelief. It's not until we actually face off to it the way it really is that we're going to be able to deal with it. Nobody ever, nobody ever gets past a problem in their life until they face off with the problem squarely. And so maybe today we sit here as people, not everybody, but maybe you sit here today as someone who is just battling with unbelief. Well, how do I know? There's evidences. <clears throat> I, did a, I did a series 
in our church in Australia um, through the Gospel of John, and I'm slow moving. I did 85 messages in the Gospel of John. It took me forever. Good. Well, four years in Hosea. Four years. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. You know what the theme of the Gospel of John is? That you might believe. He tells us that in John chapter number 20. These things are written that you might believe, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. Sixteen times John records in that gospel, they did not believe, they did not believe, they did not believe, they did not believe. Sixteen times in the book that's written so that you'd believe. The stated reason in our text of Hebrews 3 why Israel didn't go into the promised land is unbelief. It manifests itself in rebellion and disobedience and all those things, but where did it start? The heart of unbelief. We look here in, um, let's see, where did I take you last? Let's go to Mark chapter number 6. I think it put you in Hebrews. Let's go to Mark 6. Sorry about that. Mark chapter number 6. Now this is a parallel passage in uh, Matthew 13. <clears throat> but in, in Mark chapter number 6 here, let's read through these first six verses as it deals with this subject of unbelief. And I want you to see how, how unbelief manifests itself. In other words, if I say, you know, well, we might be guilty of unbelief, and you're saying, okay, I'll accept that, but how do I know? Here's how we'll know. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 1, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. Now, in Matthew chapter number 13, he's been having a long discourse on the kingdom of heaven as it's gone into mystery form, and he's speaking parables to them, and that's where that fits in here. But verse number 2, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. Now think about that. They're astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? So they're looking at him. They're saying, Man, this guy, when he talks, it's unbelievable. It's, it's like hearing from God. It's not like hearing somebody who's just been instructed in the Bible. This guy knows not just what the Bible says, but what it means and how it works in my life. It's amazing. And listen to the wisdom coming from him and look at the works that are surrounding it. This is unbelievable. Verse 3. Is not this the carpenter? Isn't that kind of a nutty thing to say right there? I mean, he has manifested himself already to be the Messiah, the Son of God. In what he said and what he's done, he's already manifested it. And they themselves are talking about it, and they turn right around and say, now isn't he a, a carpenter? I was about to say a chippy. That's what we say in, in Australia. He's a chippy. He's a carpenter. Isn't he a carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah uh, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Why in the world would they be offended? Why wouldn't they be excited? Well, we're going to learn because of unbelief. And so that's what I want you to see. The first manifestation of unbelief in the life of an individual is that we take the things of God and we look at them in a familiar, uh, carnal, fleshly fashion. 
What they were doing is looking at what Christ did and then interpreting that through the lens of fleshly carnality. And instead of seeing him as being God in the flesh, they're saying he's just a carpenter. And I'm telling you that unbelief in our life manifests itself when God is at work among us and we start interpreting that as in a fleshly fashion. Well, you know, that could happen. Oh, it might be coincidence. Oh, you know, whatever, whatever. That's just how things go. That's part of life, blah, blah, blah. And we're not looking at it and saying, that's God. That was God that did that. And that's how we know. That's one way that we know that we're dealing with unbelief in our hearts. And then they go on and they say in verse number uh, four, and Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could, do, he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. That's pretty mighty. <laughs> At least my way of thinking it is. But the Lord said, well, it's not mighty works, it's not more. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled at it. In other words, the Lord's looking at that and he's saying, this is kind of messing with my mind a little bit that you can't see who I am and that you're responding this way. So I want you to see firstly that unbelief is manifest in, in a carnal familiarity with the Lord. And by the way, we deal with this all the time. I'm sure you do too, whether you're dealing with people on the street or door to door, however you go about your evangelism is you try to talk to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, and they say, yeah, sure, I know who Jesus is. And they start rattling off a list of things that they know as factual about the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you deal with them on who He is, who He is, God in the flesh, the Savior of mankind, the only way of redemption, they shut you off. But the second way that I see here is that they're not moved by the working of God. They're not moved. A person of unbelief can see God at work and not be moved in their heart about it. Uh, the Bible tells us when somebody's saved that all heaven rejoices, right? And, and I'm sorry to say, and, and again, I'm not pointing fingers because I'm guilty of all of these things, so please understand that today. But sometimes people get saved and we go, oh, that's good. Neat. We'll see if it works out. I... Why? Why can't we just go ahead and be excited and shout and sing and praise the Lord that somebody's put their faith in Christ and just acknowledge it as the work of God? We see somebody get baptized. Oh, we'll see how long they last. Why do we do that? Unbelief. We can't see God working amongst us. I want to say to the younger people here, if I can, that you've, you've come into the ministry here when it's, when it's really gone forward and there's a lot... You know, you, you, maybe you grew up, this is the only building you've ever known. And you don't know the years prior of being in a smaller building or in meager fare and, and scratching things out that the pastor can tell you about the years of labor and prayer and tears and heartache and hardship and struggles and everything that had to be gone through to get where you are now. And what happens is you become so familiar with that you don't appreciate all that was invested, not just money, but the, the individuals themselves that invested themselves in this place. And when you look at it and you step back from the preacher's point of view, you say, what has God wrought? But if you're in the younger generation or you've come in on this late, you just go, oh yeah, neat, they got a building, they got this, they got that. You take it for granted. 
And what happens is that we can then have a heart of unbelief through that where we think, well, that, you know, lots of churches have buildings. What, what big deal is that? No, God did that. God provided this. God gave you the pastor. God gave the leadership. God gave the finances. God gave the property. God gave the ability to grow. God gave the souls saved. God gave you missionaries to support. It was all God. Don't let it become commonplace to you. Don't let it be something that you say, that's just the way it is. No, that's a heart of unbelief. It's refusing to see the hand of God at work among you right here. When I tell people about this church, I say, yeah, they're in Martville, New York, and they say they're in where, who? You know, so think about that. There's no reason, humanly speaking, for you guys to be here. There's nothing to sustain you here. But here you are, prospering. That's God. Don't have an evil heart of unbelief that you look past that and miss it. Can we go back to Hebrews? Hebrews chapter number 4. And Hebrews chapter number 4. And, and again, I'm, I'm aware of context and all those things here, but I just, I'm taking them at face value and lifting out here, if you will, the principles. But Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise... I'm in verse 1, chapter 4. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You know, the third way to, to tell whether you've got this evil heart of unbelief is unresponsiveness to the preaching of the word of God. It was preached, but it wasn't mixed with faith, with believing what God said. Man, I, I'm telling you, uh, one of the opportunities that missionaries have that maybe many of you don't is we get to go from church, 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 church. I've been from Seattle to Maine to Florida. You know, we're going to be in California, we think, at some point. The point is, is that we're all over the place, so we get to observe all these churches. And when sometimes you walk in, you can say, man, you can just sense the Spirit of God in some places, and in some places you go in and you think, it, it's Ichabod. And they know the doctrines, and they know, how, you know, to lay it out, they can write it down, they can pass all the exams and tests that you give them, but there is no faith mixed with what they hear, and they are just dying and dying and dying and closing their doors and reducing their missions outreach. I thank God uh, for even churches, if I can boast on our church in Australia for a little bit, when it came to COVID time, we didn't, <clears throat> we didn't have to cut missionaries and we didn't have to start working, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And our budget grew and our people were faithful and, the, and it just kept on going forward. And I, I keep running into Bible-believing churches just like that, where something that the devil meant for evil, God meant for good, and he took it and said, I'm going to see how faithful you'll be when you're struggling through some things. And I love it when I get to see a church that just through that just continued to prosper. Why? Because what they heard preached from the Bible was mixed with faith. They didn't have an evil heart of unbelief. That, that our financial situation is really what determines our giving. It never has and it never will, according to 2 Corinthians. 
we can give out of deep poverty if we want. And thank God for that. But here, here, back to the text here. What happened? The preaching of the Word of God. You know, one of the, the blessings of our kind of churches is you're going to hear the Bible preached. Always going to hear the Bible preached and taught and instructed. Always going to hear it. The downfall of that is you become inoculated if you're not careful. If you don't watch your heart. If you're not careful about what's going on in your heart day by day and week by week, you'll come and listen to sound Bible teaching and sound Bible preaching and you'll have the right Bible in the right position and you won't mix it with faith. And the next thing you know, you're going to start to diminish and fade and fall out and get angry and your life is going to start becoming a wreck and you're going to blame the church, you're going to blame the pastor and you're going to blame God and you're going to leave and you're going to say it was all just for nothing. And it all started in our hearts. Because we hear the Bible preach, but we don't mix it with faith. That's an evil heart of unbelief. God help us if we ever become unmoved by the preaching of the Word of God. It should, it should stir us every single time. And I know we go through seasons of life where we feel like, man, I'm just, I'm not getting what I used to. And, and you, don't, you don't need to be discouraged by that and quit and think that there's something wrong with you. I promise you, if we surveyed every person in the room, everyone would say there's been seasons in my life where I didn't feel as close to the Lord, where I didn't have the sense of it, where I just felt like, man, I'm struggling. I, I guarantee it. But don't quit. And, and I'm going to tell you how to get past it here in a minute. I'm, I, I, need to, I need to move on. Let's go over to, um, let's see, I'm going to have to choose some of these. Otherwise, we're going to be here all day. <laughs> Uh, let's just do a couple more here. I want to look at Mark chapter number 16. Just while you're going to Mark 16, think about this. Think about Matthew chapter number 17 when... Christ and the disciples came down off the Mount of Transfiguration. They come down, and that man approaches him and says, Hey, listen, my, my son, you know, he's, he's lunatic. And I went to your disciples, and they weren't able to help him. And uh, so Christ cast out the devil, and they went on their way. It was great. And the disciples said, Hey, what happened? Why couldn't we do that? And he said, uh, Because of your unbelief. Just as plain as that, he said, It's your unbelief. What do you mean, our unbelief? It's on your unbelief. He goes, now, you know, these kind go out not by, by prayer and fasting, and that's a fact, but it's just your unbelief. That's the reason you couldn't do it. <laughs> but doesn't the Lord do that for you sometimes, and, and he does it for me? Like, man, Lord, why can't I get over this sin in my life? Why can't I get over this? Why can't I do that? Why am I? That's no, just your unbelief. <laughs> but that's how it manifests itself, with some powerlessness. We don't have power over evil in our lives. If you're struggling with something in your life, you don't have power over it. And I say this with charity. I mean this. It's because of your unbelief. Because God has given you everything that you need to overcome it. And here in, in Mark chapter number 16, you know what Jesus did his entire ministry? He told them that he was going to be crucified, delivered up, crucified, and rise again. He said it over and over again. Mark chapter number 16, verse number 9. Now, if you have a modern Bible, you just go to sleep. You don't have this. Uh, verse number 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, 
he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And, and they, when they had heard that he was alive and had, had been seen of her, believed not. Verse 12. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto this residue, neither believed they them. Okay, now look. The Bible says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, things are established. So if you didn't take the first one, okay, you can give them a little leeway on that. But now more and more coming, and they don't believe them either? Especially when Jesus said, this is exactly the way this is going to go down. Verse 14, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and what did he do? And upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. You know how unbelief manifests itself in our lives sometimes? By not believing the testimony of those who God sends our way. God did this. God was faithful there. God fulfilled his promise there. God did this. God did this. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Jesus came along and he said, man, what's the matter with you guys? You boneheads. He upbraided them. Man, you guys are boneheaded and pigheaded with your unbelief and your hardened hearts. What's the matter with you? This is exactly what I said I was going to do. And now I've done it. And now you won't even believe the ones that I sent to tell you that I did it. It's just this unwillingness to receive the testimony of God's people about himself. And we'll finish up back here in uh, Hebrews chapter number 3 with this. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you very, very quickly a couple of ways to overcome this. Hebrews chapter number 3. I hope we're still okay. Hebrews chapter 3. Now don't take that as me trying to seek approval. I hope you know that too. But uh, I hope we're okay. Hebrews chapter number 3. And uh, we read here in verse number 12 again, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. And here's how it manifests itself now. In departing from the living God. We just walk away from God. Walk away from the Word of God. Walk away from our prayer life. Walk away from missions, from testifying and, and being a witness. Just walk away from God. I'm absolutely certain that if, if the pastor were asked, are there people who you know that walked away from God in the church? Uh, if it didn't bring tears to his eyes, it would bring a broken heart, no doubt, as he thought about one and another and another and another and another. Parents, children, families, other, other preachers, how does that happen? It's as plain as I know how to make it. It's an evil heart of unbelief. Maybe it's, we, we didn't believe God when he said, well, the way is not going to be easy, but we'll be blessed. We think, well, you know, I didn't expect God to take it this way. I didn't expect him to allow this in my life. And I don't think it's fair for God to do that. I'm gone. That's unbelief. He told you how it would be. 
Hey, we through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God, he said. That's what, that's what Paul told those people in the book of Acts. Through much tribulation, we enter into the kingdom of God. But we're still blessed. And I don't know, maybe somebody today, you're on the edge of walking. You might be on the edge of walking. And, and maybe just some ding-dong from Wyoming was sent along the way to say, if you're about ready to walk out on God, depart from Him, it's your evil heart of unbelief. And, and you just need to get your heart right. Now, we're talking missions. And I want to bring it to missions, and I, I want to tie all this together. When it comes to our going, giving, and praying, as we talked about in Sunday school, if we're not going... It's unbelief. If we're not giving, it's unbelief. If we're not praying, it's unbelief. By the way, all I got to this morning in Sunday school is you praying for the missionary. You know what Paul did in Ephesians 6? He said, I pray for you. That's the missionary's job. Pray for those that are sending them. Unbelief. Unbelief. Well, I can't do it because, that's unbelief. God said we can. We can go further. We can get larger. We can, we can lengthen our ropes. We can expand our tent. We can do more. We can dig deeper. And I don't mean financially here now. I'm just talking about digging deeper spiritually to do more, to see people reached with the gospel, but more importantly, for the glory of God. We can, but it's unbelief that will hinder that. Unbelief will hinder somebody from surrendering to the mission field. Unbelief will hinder somebody from being a soul winner here in town. Unbelief will keep you from wanting to give toward missions and expand yourself and trust God more. Unbelief will keep you off your knees and praying for your missionaries. What do I do about it? Number one, in Mark chapter 9 and verse number 24, you know, a man ran to Christ, remember that? And he said, hey, listen, uh, you know, my son, he's, he's torn and he's, my son, he cast himself into the fire and and into the water, and, and uh, you know, I, he's, he's crazy, and he's possessed, and I, what am I going to do? And, and you know what Jesus, Jesus said, you know, you could if you believed, and he said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. The first way to overcome unbelief is just pray. Lord, I want to believe you, but I'm not there yet. Help my unbelief. I, I want to trust you more, but I'm struggling with it. Help thou mine unbelief. God, I'm, I'm ready to quit on God. Help thou mine unbelief. The second way is here in Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. He tells us that we're to exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know what you need? You need church. You need fellowship time with other believers. You need it because we exhort one another. And that's how we get over unbelief. We're exhorted and exhorted and exhorted. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. Stay with it. Don't give up. Don't walk out on God now. Don't let this overcome you. I know you're struggling. I'm not being critical. I'm here to help you. I'm here to prop you up. Lift your hands up. Strengthen your knees. That's what I'm here for. I need exhorting. Number three, just believe God. Just believe God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
That's how you overcome unbelief. Believe God. And when there's a conflict in your heart, the flesh resting against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, believe the Spirit. Go with the Spirit. He's never been wrong. He's never failed. It's always good. Always good. All right. Father, I pray that you would achieve and accomplish in your people today what you would like to do. And I trust that you've been able to minister to to the, the folk here. Thank you, God, for the blessings of the truth of the Bible. Even though sometimes it's hard-hitting, God, we pray that you would again work out in us the image of Jesus Christ. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor. If God's spoken to your heart, would you respond to God today as the pastor comes? People are coming. Has God spoken to your heart? You willing to be honest before him? Too many times we have that carnal familiarity. Just make it nothing. Then we don't see God's hand in our lives. We don't see God's hand working in others. We become unresponsive. We may read the word of God, but we don't follow it. We don't rejoice in the testimony of others. The altar's full, but there's room for you. If God's speaking to your heart, I need to pray. Things got brought to mind for me. Are you willing to come and pray and humble yourself? If you're here this morning, all the heads are bowed, all the eyes are closed, no one looking around. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, would you let today be the day of salvation for you? If you're not sure if you were to die today, that heaven would be your home. Don't let your unbelief rob you of an eternal home in heaven. Forgiveness with the only one who can truly forgive you. Would you come to the altar? We'll have someone show you from the Word of God how you can know that you're saved. Believer, you willing to pray? You're willing to exhort one another? You're willing just to accept what God said? Maybe you haven't been and you're letting the circumstances in your life, whether it be financial or physical, whether it be pain or hurt or emotions, or other brethren keeping you from going forward with what God has called you to do. Maybe you need to come. There's room at the altar for you. God speaking to heart, would you come?